rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I know you don't always like camp and stuff like that, so I'm really worried you didn't like Syzygy, because I really liked Syzygy. No, I liked it a lot. It's great. I was really worried that you hated it and did not want to date it. Uh, no, I, I really <laughs> liked it. And, uh, you know, grotesque is a different story, but mm. we'll get to that in, in a few minutes. Uh, Syzygy is <laughs> it's a very strange episode because... Uh, it's so I don't. its time. <laughs> Well, it is, but I don't know. Like, okay, it's written by Chris Carter, and I think that, <laughs> really, I, I th- yeah, and I think that Chris Carter is one of those guys that it seems to me that he is competitive, and he is he elevates his writing and he elevates his work when he is challenged. I mean, he never wrote an episode like this before for the X Files, and. I don't think he ever would have if it wasn't for Darren Morgan. Yeah. This, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. This episode, I think, is probably even funnier than Darren Morgan's work. And it is, of course, ridiculous and campy. But there's also a core of there's a core of, of, of seriousness to it, of course. Oh, yeah. But I think that it is. I don't know. I'll ask you this question because I think that it is it is poking fun at the X-Files even more than Darren Morgan's work, while at the same time telling a very standard X-Files story. And so I think it works, but what do you take away from this? It 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 could almost destroy the show, but but it doesn't. Well, and I, I don't know why. Well, number one, the fact that you, t- I, I'm just, I didn't know that Chris Carter wrote this episode, and that makes it even more of a important episode in a way because, in general, some stuff is being done to Mulder's and Scully's relationship, and so if this was just a you know, random somebody wrote an episode for the show, that would be one thing. If this is Chris Carter doing this, then he's really deliberately seeding some stuff, I would say. Um, And number two, we were talking about, I think last week on War of the Coperphage as well, you know, he's kind of making fun of the X-Files, you know, how do you think Chris Carter feels about this? Well, Sijiji shows to me that he's taking it in good stride, like he, he finds it funny and he gets the joke and he's, you know, even willing to take the joke a little further. I mean, this episode in a lot of ways reminded me of, you know, we we have a s- s- extended scenes in Astrologer's office, so that's going to remind me of Clyde Bruckman, uh, in the way that the panic of the town is more of the real threat in some ways than the monster of the week uh, is also a was the major theme of War of the Coprophages. Of course, here we have an actual malevolent... Uh, pair of people at the center of this episode and the mob doesn't do that much damage but uh it's again it seems like this episode is referring to and in conversation with those two episodes in a way which very much accepts that weird tone of them uh this isn't saying that you know Clyde Bruckman and uh War of the Coprophages are deconstructing the X-Files to a point where it can't handle that criticism this is it saying no it can handle this criticism and we can even run with it and get a get a better show yeah because i I agree with that and i think part of the reason why syzygy works so well is that it is not it's not wackiness or or camp for the sake of wackiness or camp 
they they are trying to ground this in a realism of the character work that's been building for two and a half seasons. And I think part, I mean, you said that you, you you're starting to see in this season that the X-Files is a really postmodern show. And I would I would agree with that. But I think part of the reason why it is, is that it is willing to well, for two reasons, I think it is willing to uh, take questions that the audience probably has about these characters and their world and and pose them in the show which is not quite yeah. fourth wall breaking but almost i mean i think for example scully's line about why do you always drive is it because you're the man um obviously that that would not have worked in grotesque it works in this episode because the tone is there but and, and, and also and because I think we're supposed to to assume that they're being affected by the the con uh, you know conjunction of the planets or whatever. But and also I would say there is a subtle uh, degree of feminism in this episode in terms of you know the two girls. It's it's twisted into violence from the powers of the Sijiji, but for Scully asking it is a legitimate question. Yes, and and I also think in a weird way that. This episode is is more. I mean, it it's more. I don't know. It gives it gives the female characters more agency than something like War of the Coprophages does. Because if you think back to uh, uh, what was her name, the the buxom scientist in that episode, Bambi, <laughs> Bambi. You know, she was uh, she was essentially a, a joke, and I think that the joke was at her expense. I mean, certainly it was at the expense of Mulder as well. Yeah. But in this episode, you know, he's making jokes about the horny beast and stuff like that. But it is the 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 female detective who who goes to his hotel room and you know uh, uh, you know exercises her sexual agency. And but is that she... is not something that happened in War of the Coprophages. Well, but is she though? Because part of the implication is that she is being affected by this just as much and i mean i think you know milder makes a very big point to recognize that you know no you're not really yourself this is not a good idea you know uh well sure yeah kind but of I, but stuff I, I i which again you know they don't want Mulder to go too far i get that um but well, again, yes but i i think that that my point is really that it's it's the female uh, uh and i'm sorry that i didn't write her name down but it's the female detective not Mulder doing that right like because it would have been more mm. expected or standard if it was Mulder. So, it, it, you know, the fact that Scully is is not into this at all, for example, right? Like, part of the issue with this is that there was this whole will they or won't they thing, and there was definitely a, you know, a shipping thing going on with Mulder and Scully. And, you know, we also have to, to keep in mind that The X-Files was one of the first television shows which had the internet around for yeah. its fans to communicate with each other and and the creative staff and the creative staff was keeping tabs on what the fans were saying yeah. and so you know this episode also feels like a chris carter statement in that Mulder and scully are not ever going to hook up or have sex or kiss or anything because this episode makes it clear that Mulder and scully compromised have no interest in that yeah i mean this episode and frankly, her feelings towards the detective in Mulder it seems like another part of what happened in War of the Coprophages, her feelings towards Bambi. Um, in this episode, it's I, – I don't think Scully has a problem with Mulder finding somebody and 
you know, enjoying spending time together. I think what's bothering Scully so much in this episode is not that Mulder's finding somebody and, you know, having a fun time with her, getting interested in her, but this particular detective, number one, Mulder's being a complete asshole in order to impress her in a lot of ways, and this is a woman who is ranting about satanic cults, which is something that, you know, Scully knows full well is not really a thing and is not the thing in this episode, and... In a way, it's not so. Again, it's not. At one point, she said, "You know," she says, "You know, we. I, I've always expected we would have different opinions. I wouldn't expect you to ditch me." He's not just being interested in somebody else. Scully isn't worried about her own feelings. He's just being an ass to her by being interested in her. Yeah, and I, I think it's. I think that's right, and and I want to go into that a little more, but. I think one of the reasons why this episode works, of course, is that, you know, in something like War of the Coprophages or even Humbug, the the characters are able to be funny, but they're also still being true to themselves and, and still being true to the characterizations that have been developed over the show's run so far. In Syzygy, of course, they're not. I mean, Mulder is... But at the same time, they are, right? Like, Mulder yeah. is not usually an asshole. He's not usually a dick to Scully, but Mulder's kind of an asshole, and Scully is kind of a, a you know, a, a put upon, you know, person in his life a little bit. And, you know, he drives what they investigate, all of these things. Right. And so in a sense, yes, it's exaggerated. And yes, they're not exactly acting like themselves because of the MacGuffin. Yeah. Conjunction of the planets that Mulder finds out about through the uh, through the psychic. But at the same time, there is a core there that is true. And I also think that it, it works because Scully being so comedically dismissive of the detectives' theories about Satanism are, I think, kind of a commentary on the audience's reactions to that sort of thing because this is only the the middle of the third season of the show. This is a show that goes on for nine seasons, two movies, and then has yeah. you know uh, two seasons oh, of God. of uh, uh, return episodes twenty years later. So this is definitely we're not we're barely a third near, of the way through. Yeah, I mean we're not even a third of the way through. But it is the case that already I think part part of it was like the audience was probably getting a little tired of the well Mulder I think that theory is dumb and also here's a small town sheriff or whoever that has a dumb theory because they're dumb and you know is she shutting it down very quickly because she is kind of acting as the audience surrogate yeah. in that scene but again she's right and especially in the real world yeah she's right um I, yeah, I, I would say that it doesn't make change their personality, but it amps everything up to 11 in a lot of ways. I mean, Scully may have only the mildest and tiniest of resentments, and maybe there are very practical reasons for why Mulder usually drives. I mean, as we said last week, Mulder's been up since five working on the cases. You know, he says, all right, we're going to some place, so she's spending the time in the car reviewing the case file. Like, there's, you know, she may just not really care. Mulder may simply be a better driver. Like, there's a dozen reasons for this, and, you know, but at this point, because everything is so heightened, that resentment becomes an actual issue. Um, yeah. I, the you know, we, we see Scully smoking at one point. I don't think she's ever smoked before, but I got the sense from this that, you know, you're she probably is an ex-smoker, and 
you know, normally she can. Well, she 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 wasn't coughing, so yeah. Normally, that, that would she, indicate, yeah, yeah. Normally, she doesn't have a craving for a cigarette. Everything is heightened. That very latent, I want a cigarette, gets gets amped up. You know, I it's well, it's like the same thing with Mulder's, um, you know, bizarre, sad screwdriver he's making with the yeah. frozen orange juice and the bottle <laughs> of vodka, the cheap bottle of vodka, right? That. <laughs> You know, he doesn't normally drink. Yeah. He doesn't. He just said, well, he kind of says he never drinks, really. And yeah. uh, which, you know, is not entirely true. Cause I think we've seen him drink before, but he's not a drinker, right? He doesn't yeah. drink often. And so these are things that Mulder and Scully perhaps don't do much. Or don't do anymore. Or, yeah. Or don't do anymore. But but they are still things that they do. I mean, for example, Mulder did not go out and, and, and pick up like a male prostitute, right? Or, yeah. or Scully did not suddenly decide. Uh, that she, I don't know. Needed I, I to do heroin. Example, but, right, yeah, exactly. She didn't go out and, and score some heroin. So I think that, I mean, certainly, of course, that that's also things that they could do on television. So, <laughs> well, but, but I mean, yeah. th- then in the case of the girls, they may not necessarily be, they would probably never kill these boys, but at the same time, uh, especially knowing what we know about rape culture and all of that, there probably are some resentments towards these guys, towards some of the other girls that are in the world that are, that again, most of the time, and especially they have a friendship where they don't really give a shit about, you know, anybody else, fine. But during this period of time, things are so heightened that it really does matter. I mean, it's obviously a metaphor for hormones, right? This is, you know, the fact that when you're a teenager, everything is so intense because you're not used to it in a way all of the people in the town become teenagers a little bit uh in the way that they are handling their emotions and their impulses sure yeah there's definitely a lack of impulse control happening here in in the entire town and everybody in it and i i do want to talk more about margie and terry because i i think that I don't know that they're interesting as characters. They're not really given individual personalities or or personalities at all, really. Uh, You know, we don't know what they're actually like. We don't see them, what they're really like, except for possibly the very end of the episode when they're crying in each other's arms because they've just gone through this horrible experience. And, and of course, that also indicates that they're not really responsible for their their actions. But that might be a cop out, too. I don't know. But I think that, that what's interesting to me about those two characters is that you know, aside from the fact that Chris Carter is uh, hilariously bad at writing realistic teenage dialogue, which may be intentional, maybe not. I, I don't know. G- I mean, I got the sense <laughs> that he realized I can't write a realistic teenager, so I'm just going to write the most unrealistically absurd teenager in a way so that, you know, in other words, he's not trying, so he makes a very good, funny teenager where he'd write a shitty, serious teenager. Right. It's kind of like the Joss Whedon approach to writing teenagers. Yeah. But uh, I think that what what's interesting to me about those two characters is that, you know, there there is a strain in, I think, American culture and, and, and Western culture in general, which I think, you know, sexualizes, sexualizes teenage girls, you know, at, at a younger age than mm. perhaps they should be. And I think that this episode makes it clear that, that it, part of it is a commentary on that, I think, where Margie and Terry are exaggeratedly adult in this episode to to a, a very alarming degree and they're also very sexually uh forward as well i mean that's how the episode starts that's how we first see them and they are using their sexuality as a weapon because they are getting these teenage boys into situations where they can murder them uh 
And then, but, but, you know, you could say, okay, well, that's a bit problematic, but I don't think it is because it's, I think it's at Chris Carter is actually trying to argue against that. I think you see that at the end of the episode when the, the true personalities of these two teenage girls are revealed yeah. and, and they're, they're crying in each other's arms. You know, they, they're, they're childish in a way. They're teenage I mean, we don't know girls. Exactly how, yeah. Right. Like we don't know exactly how old they are. I would say they're probably 16 or, or 17. So certainly they're not, you know, 13. Uh, they mentioned but, born in 1979 and this year was 95. Yeah. Okay. So they would be 16 um, or 16 ish around there. So yeah, certainly we're not talking about young teenage girls, which would be entirely inappropriate, but yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's what Chris Carter is trying to do here. Well, one of the major themes, again, we've discussed as part of the X-Files is that an of oppressed group gaining a measure of power and that power threatening to consume them. Uh, here Again, here we have two girls who are possibly – who their society and their culture has pushed them into a position of being sexualized sort of against their will – and giving them power, they are turning that around and using that in order to – using their sexuality violently. And again, the episode obviously doesn't condone what they're doing, but at the same time, I don't think it blames them either, you know. And not even just because, well, they were possessed by Satan or whatever, you know, they think at the end. I mean, I, I think it's fairly clear that these girls are not going to – have any legal consequences for this the town is going to kind of dismiss the case in that way uh you know it was just a weird series of accidents and they're, right they're good girls they would never do this intentionally at the end um well and it, it it's also i think you know about the i mean one of the things that i think the x-files is interested in full stop is sort of the secret internal lives of, of people and communities right yeah. and this town obviously is going through a very, very particular uh, uh, challenge, let's say. <laughs> and everyone is doing things that they perhaps would would not do otherwise. Yeah. But it's not the case that I think the show is trying to say that these are bad people. Uh, perhaps just that. Well, the, the the name of the town is Comedy, right? Which is a joke because it's that's a word that means sort of like you know friendly and 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 you know mutual respect mm. and things like that, right? And, and and this is obviously not the town for that. Um, and I I think that you know it's kind of arguing that people's secrets are secrets for a a reason, perhaps, and that we should not be totally honest with everybody at all times because that is not how humans are supposed to be. That is not something that is going to engender mutual respect and admiration amongst a group of people. I don't necessarily know that I agree with that, uh, but I don't know if I want to argue the point. You don't think that white lies serve a social purpose? I... I mean, like, if if you ask me if well, like, I mean, your haircut looks good and it doesn't look good, I mean, it's I'm not going to... It's more, you know I guess, I mean? that I'm not sure if that's the theme of this particular episode. I, I, well, I, I don't I, think it's white lies that are preventing the principal from declaring everybody Satanists. I mean, I think he, you know, I, I think when they say, no, he's the principal, he would never do this thing. You know, I think the detective think, on three on any other day of the year would be very rational and be very 
you know, looking at this evidence. I think they are just at a point where they're open to suggestion and some fucked up things are legitimately happening in the town. Sure. Three, three teenagers are dying in three months and, you know, at the funeral when, you know, the coffin sets on fire, like something fucked up is happening. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's the the entire theme of the episode. I just think it's a part of the episode. Uh, you know, like a small thing about, you know, Scully uh, saying that she's upset that Mulder's always driving, for example. You know, small annoyances that, that people have in relationships that people overlook because it's just not that big a deal, right? Or or the fact that the town pediatrician apparently is a, a transvestite, right? Or, or likes to dress up in women's clothes. Uh, stuff like that. I'm not I'm not talking about the murders or or anything like that okay that's fair uh, at the same time i i feel like the doctor would have a happier life in a society where he could be open about that sort of thing and where he didn't have to hide it i mean people well, yes. people only hide their sexuality because of fear of recriminations i like that the witch's idea of a really cool party is just dr- dancing very intensely to the band live Oh, that was live. Of course oh, that yeah. was live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one thing about the X-Files, of course, is that it does make me a little nostalgic for the 90s. I, I, I really loved their witchy outfits. Like, yes, this is just the craft. You know, this this is very much, you know, what that iconography of the time is. And I'm glad that witches are back in. Yeah, um, yeah. And this... the, teenage gr- the teenage girls at the party who are obviously not having a good time <laughs> sitting around the table looking at... <laughs> Looking at uh, Margie and Terry, like, what the fuck are that we doing here? What are we doing? <laughs> I know. Why did they even? I-, I was thinking that when they showed the party, it was just be the two of them because why do they give a shit? You know, like they these two don't care about any. Even during their nor even during calmer times, they probably don't really care much about the other girls in their school. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I also think that, that you know, I, I don't want to downplay the, the very gruesome ways that the teenage boys in this episode die. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, th- this is this is certainly an episode that is is taking a more, you know, postmodern or, or, or uh, you know, th- thematic approach to its material. But but people are still dying and they're still dying in horrible ways. I, mean, I do not think bleachers, that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think being crushed to death in, in a set of moving bleachers is going to be a very fun way to die. So. Or stabbed to death with the shards of a mirror. Right, right, yeah. Um, I also feel like there have to have been some resonances of Heavenly Creatures, which I believe came out the year before. Um, I have never seen that movie, so I, I do not know. It's actually I, really good, but yes, it's about... Uh, now, the real-life case of two girls who had an extraordinarily intense friendship that became murderous. I don't know. There, There is – seems to be that theme of this uh, an obsessive friendship. Uh, yeah, well, that's – I mean, that's certainly something that uh, – that's, that's a theme that runs throughout, um, you know, American culture, yeah. right? I mean, that's just the way it is. The point in which uh, a positive relationship becomes – poisonous and dangerous yeah 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 well uh you know maybe the last thing i i want to say before we move on to, to grotesque um is i just i want to just take a quick opportunity to to really say how great julian anderson is i mean <laughs> you know we've we've said this before i'm sure we'll say it again david duchovny is a fine actor and he is he is playing Mulder in a fine fashion but Gillian Anderson is really the 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 spark of this show, I think. Like she does such great work in this episode and she's able to play 
uh, comedy and and just exaggerated disinterest so well what? that they were incredibly lucky that they cast her. I mean, she is really, really good. Oh, yeah. No, I loved how she's, like, just under her breath making fun of the cop. Like, she's just so very subtly. But just... Yeah. Great. All right, well, I think that's it for Syzygy. Uh, We'll move on to Grotesque, but before we do that, I just want to take a quick opportunity to remind all of you, the loyal listeners of tuning in, that this podcast is listener-supported. If you would like to give us a little bit of your hard-earned money, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. We have some reward tiers up there. If one of those strikes your fancy, if you give us that amount of money per month, you will get that reward tier. So again, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. All right, Richard, let's talk about Grotesque. So I actually feel really bad for the prop department this week because they worked overtime on all of those statues and the drawings and stuff. Like, they put in a ton of fucking effort, and it's a really mediocre episode. Yes. it It's not even bad. Yeah. It's just intensely average. And... Yeah. I think that this episode probably wouldn't have stand stood out very much in the in the in the second season of the show. In the first season, of course, it would have because the production uh, values are just you know much better than, yeah. than they were in the first season. But you're right; like in a season that gives us episodes like Syzygy, it's just very very average and mediocre. And I I honestly could not tell you what the point of this episode was or why it exists because a very small example of this is that so i watched it last night and i looked at the time that was left and there were i think it was 30 minutes had elapsed in the episode and i was i was incredibly surprised because i thought that 20 minutes had elapsed because it felt like we were at that point in the episode where the plot was going to turn or something was going to happen that was going to you know make it a different episode or it was going to ramp up or something and no it was in its you know back half and it was it was getting ready to to resolve the plot and i i just was like nothing has happened so far yeah the the show hasn't done that much with uh, characters from their pasts for a while. Uh, and while I don't necessarily have a problem with the idea of that, at the same time, Red Foreman feels like so out of place with the rest of uh, – I, I know, he was also Odo's predecessor. Um, he feels so at odds with the meta plot that's going on with the whole conspiracy thing that – I mean, he seems like from a version of the show that was pre pre mythology arc. Uh, yeah, I, I I think I think that's right because it, it's the kind of thing that the show did a lot in the first season. I mean, remember yeah. like Mulder's you know buddy and and Scully's uh, you know friend that was trying to get ahead in the FBI and you know stuff like that. I, I don't. I mean, I think it would have been interesting to to show a little bit more of Mulder's. Uh, past in the behavioral sciences unit and and yeah. how because it, it's a good setup for an episode right like yeah there's something weird going on there's a serial killer that they catch but then another murder happens in, in exactly the same way and that's impossible because they never released any information about it so how is this happening and the, the you know Mulder's old mentor in the behavioral sciences unit his boss that he worked with for years 
you know, who was very, very into him and, and, and not in a sexual way, in an intellectual and professional way, and brought him onto this case because he wanted to see how far Mulder would come and, and you know, all this kind of stuff, right? It's a really good, I want to see that episode. Yeah. But, but what we get instead is, is none of that. And part of it, I think part of the problem is that the 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 guy doesn't have any red foreman doesn't really have anything to do he's an he's a MacGuffin character that is only there to shock us at the end with the reveal that he is yeah. actually the, the 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 copycat serial killer or the, the actual serial killer or whatever and the the supernatural elements of the episode are, are, are completely half-baked uh i don't exist. actually know right if he, they even exist i mean we could be in a um irresistible uh, situation with uh, uh, Donnie Faster. I mean, um, even if they wanted to do that, then okay, connect the two episodes because the Irresistible was probably possessed by something, right? But I, I don't think he was. And they even they even pulled the same trick in this episode that they pulled in that episode, where when at the very end of the episode, Mulder is chasing uh, yeah. Bill Patterson, Red Foreman. He he, you get this brief shot of him leaving a door, and, and he looks sort of like a, a gargoyle. Uh, all right. I, I think that's not. Ex- I, I don't think that in either of those episodes they were actually intending for that to be a canon and for that to be real or the you know realism. I think that that or reality. I guess is yeah. the word. I think that they were just trying to uh, visually indicate that this guy is a bad guy. Yeah. Um, shock you a little bit. Okay, fine. But give it a reason to be on an X Files episode, yeah. Right, yeah. But like, I don't think the, I don't think that like Irresistible, I think, is a fine episode that is hampered by the fact that the X Files was not sure if it could do a purely non supernatural or or non science fiction story, right? And I think it was it was hurt by that. And grotesque should be better because the show is. I think about as self-assured as, as it's going to get, or it, it is self-assured. Maybe it gets more self-assured in the fourth season, the fifth season, but it's, it's there. It's, it's gotten to a place that it, it knows what it's doing. It knows what it's good at, and it is stretching its legs and trying different things. And this just feels like a, a, a version of the show that is not those things that is not sure of itself, not sure of what it's doing. And I think it would have been better. Like, I don't know what the gargoyle stuff is supposed to indicate. I I don't understand. I don't. I fundamentally do not understand the 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 plot of this episode because it doesn't seem to know whether or not there is yeah. a supernatural element to the episode. And I think the episode would have been much stronger if they had just gone. You know what? We don't need that. Let's tell a very tight story about Mulder's protege from the behavioral sciences unit requesting him on this serial killer case. And and let's examine how far Mulder has come through him catching his old uh, his old mentor, his old boss. But that's not what we get. And and it's just kind of a muddled mess. And and it's also uh, my final point is that it's also. Mulder as asshole to Scully for for essentially yeah. no reason in an episode that comes directly after Syzygy that feels redundant to me and and even perhaps a little unfair to to Mulder as a character. Yeah, I mean Syzygy was a felt like a good con, a next step from uh Revelations in which there is this first moment where Scully is starting to believe something that Mulder can't accept and 
there is this part of her that, you know, the person that she felt that she was able to tell everything to just doesn't understand and she can't connect with on him. And now it's beginning a slight rift um, to see Sijiji as a version of that rift in a way. I I, I, I mean, I, I get it says a lot about grotesques that we're still talking about Sijiji, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. In a way, I think what Scully is really mad at Mulder about is less that, oh, he's going off with other people and more that again, he doesn't believe in God the way I do. I mean, that, that, and he doesn't understand that and he's mocking me for that. And this feels like, you know, this is the one thing I'm asking him to come with me on and he's not bothering, but he always wants me to, uh, I mean, Mulder can always drive. Mulder can say, all right, it's aliens. We're doing this. Mulder can say, all right, it's the Wolfman. We're doing this. Mulder can say, all right, you know, it's cockroaches. We're doing this. But uh, Scully says, well, gee, this has some religious implications. That's bullshit. You right. Know, that, and again, it feels like that's something that they're setting up. It, part It doesn't necessarily bother me that Mulder and Scully are coming to odds in this episode because – I feel like they are coming to uh, they're coming to a very difficult point in their relationship. I this is going to go on for another three hundred seasons, so they're going to get over it. But um, at the same time, they are in a difficult place. They are not really communicating. It does you know suck for both of them. And you know, I think this episode wants to go into an eyes of madness kind of thing. In other words, the uh, you have this man who is. I mean, to a degree, it doesn't matter whether there is an actual gargoyle spirit possessing these people or there is madness that is driving them to kill. I mean, it has the same effect either way. I mean, go into into an old-timey Bible thing. Demons are, you know, what we now understand as, for example, schizophrenia or something like that. Um, And again, Scully in this episode says that's not uncommon. People have this disassociative thing. You know, people believe possession as a way of, you know, those kind of things. So you have... uh, Kirkwood Smith is the actor's name, and I just remembered that. Um, Red Foreman? Yeah. Really? Kirkwood? I believe so. That's a very strange name. Yeah, he's a very strange actor. He is. He's good. I mean, he's good in this episode. Well, I I want to uh, go back to something you said a a minute or so ago. Sorry, Kirkwood. Oh, Kurt. Okay, I was going to say Kirkwood. That's strange. Uh, That... When when you said that Mulder and Scully are at a difficult point in their relationship, I, I, I think that that's right. And in general, I find that I like the episodic nature of The X-Files because it's a show that is playing around with the form of television and kind of stretching that that style of storytelling, I think, probably about as far as it can go. But it does make me realize that Mulder and Scully being in a bad place in their relationship, in their professional relationship and in their friendship, both, that it probably would have been strengthened by a more serialized approach to this storytelling, Mm. because that is a type of relationship difficulty that is very difficult to pull off when you have atomized episodes where the characters have to interact in, in ways that are going to drive the plot forward. I mean, you know, 
it's a problem. And I don't know that the show realizes that it's a problem. Yeah, next week may have to be a case in which they will need to work very closely together, and they probably will be working closely together, and there will be no hint of that angst, uh, because, again, it's an isolated episode, and that will be fine. But at the same time, again, I can imagine a 10-episode series of this in which this plot is done, which episode 2 is Revelations, and worse more. But but then I think we're asking for the... we're asking for the entire show to be a mythology arc in a way. And I, again, I think, but that's where television began to go. It did certainly. And I'm not saying that the X-Files would be a better show if that were the case. Well, let me ask you a very, a very fundamental question then, because this, this entire conversation and our conversation for, for Syzygy and even to some degree, our conversation last week about revelations and war of the coprophages, it, it makes me wonder, uh, do you think that this show likes the character of Mulder. You know, I, I, I think I have to tie it back to the fact that Chris Carter saw um Humbug, Clyde Bruckman, and uh Quoprophages, and his response was to write Syzygy. Um I think the episode I, I think the show is beginning to recognize that Mulder has certain less than admirable qualities. He isn't quite the asshole protagonist will get in about 10 years. He's not house. He's not, you know, right. Uh, whatever, you know, he's not just the prick who, you know, somehow is the genius and boy, is that character led to some political problems. But, um, <laughs> but at the same time, I think Mulder is self-assured to the point of self-righteous at points. It is something that he has had to be, in order to get where he is, and even though he's in the basement, he is doing the work that feels he is important, he has had to be very stubborn. He has had to insist in the face of people who are doubting. He's had to do all of these things, and he had to develop a very thick skin. The problem comes when he's treating Scully like other people, in a way. Like, I, I think during... Yeah. Over this point, Scully has earned the right to, you know... We've said several times it's Scully and Mulder against the world. Well, that means that we're on the equal, and I think Mulder and Scully. I think Mulder at times thinks of, you know, does still think of Scully as a junior when she feels that she's earned the right to be on the same, be be in the same part as him. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, because there's a couple things there. I, I think that number one, of course, and this is something that grotesque plays around with, is is the idea that. Mulder is perhaps more comfortable when he's alone, mm. more comfortable when he's working on his own, and and his strong bond with Scully is is atypical for him. Uh, and and I think the other thing there that that's interesting to think about on a on a more meta level, or, or you know, or a more uh, a real world level, is is to think about Mulder as a very very rough draft of a character like Walter White, for example. Yeah, uh, both characters are self-righteous both characters are are very very bad at admitting when they're wrong in fact insisting that they're always right even when it's obvious that they're not and i also think it's not incidental that vince gilligan created the character of walter white and and worked on the x-files and and defined uh the x-files perhaps in, in a very particular way later on so you know, that's that's what I think is so interesting about The X-Files is that it's a very, very good television show, but it also is, I think, influential in ways that people haven't really uh, come to terms with yet. 
Yeah, I mean, in the case of Walter White, his... Because I want to say Mulder seems to have much more of a moral center than Walter White ever did than, you know, or anything like that, uh, because he is on the side of the truth. But at the beginning of uh, uh, of Breaking Bad, Walter White is on the side of providing for his family, which I think we would all say is a good that very quickly gets perverted into you know, more selfish and destructive motivations. I think Mulder will be closer, will be better at keeping his motivations noble, but at the same part, I think Scully is an important part of keeping him on that side. I mean, the two of them are a check for each other and will prevent from, you know, I I, I think Scully's presence will prevent Mulder from turning evil ever, but... Yes, and I, I want to make it clear that, that I don't think Mulder is a bad guy. No. I don't think and, Mulder is, yeah. is, you know, Walter White is obviously a bad guy. He is, he is a, uh, I don't know if he's evil, but I think that, that he is obviously not uh, someone that you would want around your children. Huh. And Mulder is, is fine. I think Mulder is, is a more, he's got his bad qualities as we all do, uh, but he is not, that does not define him and he is not a bad person. Whereas, you know, a character like Walter White, he has personality traits that are problematic and, and given the opportunity to, uh, given the opportunity, they come out in a very, very, you know, explosive fashion and he becomes the, the person that he perhaps wanted to be all along. Whereas I don't think that Mulder, given the opportunity to become a character like Walter White, would ever do it right i mean i think Mulder has a moral center he definitely has a code of of ethics that he believes in and he you know his his problems i think like you see that in 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 grotesque right where he gets wrapped up in this mystery he gets wrapped up in i think perhaps even proving his old mentor wrong in a way that You know, he he's like, why did this guy want me around? And the revelation that, well, uh, uh, Scully says when she's talking to uh, his mentor, protege now that uh, Red Foreman really likes Mulder, respects him, perhaps even loves him yeah. to a degree. And and that is really where it's it's coming from. It's not coming from a place of. Uh, uh, disinterest or coming from a place of, of hatred or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. I mean, there, there's a there's a there's a strange paternal relationship between the two characters that I don't I don't know if it works necessarily because I don't think it's it's very well formed. I mean, I mean, I wish that they had remembered that Mulder had daddy issues in this episode. R- yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I think that would have been a good thing. Well, there's a there's a couple other things that I, I think are interesting to to discuss with this episode. Um, Number one, and this is this is a small thing, but but I find it interesting that the episode is playing around with the ways people address each other. Uh, Scully is always calling Red Foreman Sir. I don't mm-hmm. think she ever calls him Agent Patterson. That's not something she does very often. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting to mention. Uh, I also think it's interesting that that Bill Patterson calls Mulder by his last name, and that Mulder calls him Bill. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how much there is to say about that, but I just think it's it's interesting to note. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's that's he on Scully's view. That seems to me almost a way of I'm you know, Sir is the most neutral like title she could use for him. You know, she doesn't really 
whatever psychodrama is going on between him and Mulder is between them. She will intercede if necessary, but she doesn't wish to have a personal relationship with him. She just wants out of that in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, actually, yeah. I think I think her calling him sir in such a pointed fashion yeah. is is a way for her to keep psychological distance from him. Yeah, just not not something either of us really need at this moment. You know, obviously, calling him Bill is a way of saying you know you have no status. You're just a person. You know, I'm not yeah. even going to call you Mister Foreman or whatever. And and I think the other thing to mention is is Skinner. You know, like why is he in this episode? Except to remind us that he exists, and yeah. I think also to maybe remind us that he still cares about Mulder and Scully. Uh, but aside from that, I, I don't know what what his what role his his appearance in this episode serves. I have to admit, I didn't remember that he had a. Uh appearance in this uh now i remember that you know she's i yeah i guess it is just to and in a way it might be a contrast as because you know red foreman is his former boss but his current boss is skinner here is how you know we've seen how skinner has interacted with Mulder, and uh, we know that skinner is kind of a hard ass we know that maybe in some ways skinner and red foreman are a very similar type of person it's just when push comes to shove, Skinner will admit reluctantly, painfully, as quickly as possible to get it over with. But he will admit to Scully that he does care about Mulder. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And, and that is a good thing to know because, again, we, we, we are very sure that Skinner is on Mulder's side. Skinner may not agree with Mulder. Skinner may not give Mulder everything he wants. The answer a lot of times may be no. Uh, but at the same time, Skinner is going to do what he can to make sure Mulder stays on the X-Files and alive. Right, because, you know, Skinner is hard on Mulder and yeah. Scully. I mean, let's not forget, he, oh, is, yeah. he is hard on Scully as well. Uh, primarily because that's how he thinks that is going to help them. You know, th- this is, uh, you know, being an FBI agent in general, I'm sure is a difficult job. Yeah. And what Mulder and Scully are doing is, is even more difficult than a normal FBI agent, quote unquote, w- w- would have to endure. And so Skinner being incredibly tough on them is, is almost a protective measure in a way. Yeah. It's, it's tough love, you know, if you want to use that term. Well, I mean, we see the depths that Mulder is starting to go to and he, stays out of completely the deep end, it does make it clear that he sees the same evidence that, you know, what's-his-name did, and yet he went mad from it, and Mulder stayed there. Mulder stayed on the side of good, in a way, but at the same time, I don't think that Skinner wants his agents going through that, because that is extraordinarily... A a case like this would be extraordinarily traumatic and stressful, and, you know, it would take a little while for Mulder to recover from it. Yeah, because, I mean, I guess maybe that's the the final point to say about Grotesque, is that 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 could be one of the themes, certainly, that that the, the entire point of the episode is to show how someone who gets entirely too wrapped up in their own work uh, you know, becomes a, a part of it and and cannot get out of it, and you know that is certainly something that is is a danger of Mulder's approach to his work as well. But but the episode is is too muddled, and the episode, frankly, doesn't have enough plot yeah. to sustain itself for a forty five minute running time. And so what it does instead is 
I think it 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 kind of does the the what people think the X Files did at its worst is sort of trade, you know, really brisk storytelling and and symbolism with atmospherics and and theatrical tricks and that is not what the x-files does at its best so grotesque is i don't know i mean i'm kind of even thinking that it's it's less than mediocre at this point after having this conversation with you it was a really adequate season one episode that happened to be in the middle of a fairly strong season three run yeah yeah i think that's a good way to put it and i think that's a good place to leave grotesque so if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, Syzygy or Grotesque, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. And isn't it great how we've learned how to say that word, Syzygy? Syzygy. We Syzygy. Syzygy. We could not do that last week. No, we couldn't. I think I said Syzygy. Like I said earlier, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow is where you can go to support our podcasting endeavors. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are on there. Tuning in show is our username. Please go follow us and like us and share our stuff and retweet us and all those things. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for tuning in. It is the best way for new people to find the show. All right, Richard, next week we're going to be talking about the X-Files episodes Piper Maru and Apocrypha. Ooh. Mac, why do you...